is Upfront on the Voice of America. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Jackson Vongani in Washington. To check out our previous episodes, connect with us on our social media platforms. We are at VOA Upfront on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. I'm personally at Upfront Africa. That's where you can connect with me. Now, today we are going to talk about mentorship. It is probably the third time we've covered this topic right here on the show since the show launched in 2007. But I believe that it's an important subject and deserves revisiting it from time to time. So let us start off by defining what a mentor is. Well, a mentor is a person that is more experienced and knowledgeable, who then shares their knowledge and nurtures the development of their lesser experienced or less knowledgeable counterparts for their personal and professional growth. Now think of a rookie being taken under the wing of a veteran. Now, many organizations are starting to wake up to the benefits of providing mentoring programs in a way to help develop and strengthen the learning culture in their workplaces. Researchers at the University of California say that in the professional space, a mentor-mentee relationship fosters a mutually beneficial professional work environment where mentees have an opportunity to gain practical knowledge and insight from other seasoned employees while mentors get to expand their range of professional knowledge and skills through their interaction, their instruction, and their facilitation of others. So it's not entirely a one-way street. This research further says that organizations that do this get to benefit by increasing and sharing the wealth of talent, skill, and knowledge of its employees. So as a professional, young or old, one of the big questions people ask is how do you know what kind of mentor that you need? and where to find one. Joining me to provide insights on this topic is Scott Miller. Scott is an author and host of the podcast on leadership with Scott Miller, the world's largest and fastest growing weekly leadership podcast. Miller is the author of the multi-volume Mess Me to Success series, including Management to Mess, Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Want to Follow, Marketing Mess to Brand Success, and many others. Scott joins me via phone. Scott, let's start off by you explaining to our listeners what a mentor is and, and why do we name mentors? Yeah, I think mentors have the chance to become a transition figure in our lives. If you look back at your life, personally and professionally, all of us have been, hopefully, the beneficiary of people that entered our lives, often who believed in us more than we even believed in ourselves. They saw hope, they saw a future, they saw genius in us that perhaps they named, they helped us to uncover. I think generally mentors are people that don't just possess smarts, they possess wisdom. You know, not all smart people are wise, but most wise people are smart. So these are people that can teach us about a path forward. These are people that help us uncover and notice our own blind spots perhaps the the personality traits or the competencies are holding us back, or if we knew how to better moderate them or leverage them, they could propel us forward. A mentor is someone that just doesn't try to make you into them. They don't use their journey to try to instruct you other than here are some lessons that I've learned, things to avoid, things to consider. They really teach you principles Right, of how right. to be effective, how to leverage your genius towards your passions and your goals. Okay. Now, is, is it possible that some people actually have mentors in, in their lives 
whether it's professionally or personally, but they do not know or even acknowledge. Is, is, is the mentor-mentee relationship something that has to be formally acknowledged, acknowledged for it to work? No. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure my best friend know he's my best friend. I'm 53. I haven't said, hey, you're my best friend, right? I think there's, I think there's serendipity. I think there's, you know, unspoken, you know, parameters. I think sometimes it's helpful to name it. Hey, could I ask you a favor? Would you be willing to serve as my mentor for the next six months? A once a month phone call, kind of set some boundaries so the person knows, you know, you're not asking them to do this. You are asking them to do that. So I think formality helps, especially if your mentor is someone who's, you know, very in demand or has a high profile job or doesn't have time to do too much. And then to your point, I do. I think there are unspoken mentors that become your coach. They become your champion. They become your challenger and that you don't have to formalize it. I think if you're asking someone in your corporation at your employer to be a mentor, you probably should name it and set some parameters. Otherwise, you know, you may be calling them four times a week and they don't have time to dedicate that investment in you. So I do think there's, there's a time and a place when to name it and a time and a place when let it be what it is without formalizing it. Right. Now, is, is mentorship just limited to your professional life or career, or is it also your personal life? Can, can, I, can I have a personal mentor as well as a professional mentor? Yes, yes, and yes. And I'll tell you, I think increasingly the line is blurred between all of our personal lives and our professional lives. Quite frankly, I have one life now, and I'm doing personal stuff and professional stuff throughout the day. Many of, my, many of my leaders that are my business leaders are, in fact, my personal mentors on marriage, on my personal finance, on my brand, on perhaps some conflict I might, I might have in my personal life, and vice versa. I, I do think for all of us, delineating our personal life from our professional life is getting increasingly more difficult. And I think we have one life, and, and there are components of both. But I think you could have mentors in every aspect of your life. And quite frankly, most of my business mentors are very dear friends of mine. And I learn as much from them about, you know, how to build a strong marriage, how to be a better parent, how to be a better neighbor than I do even uh, uh, professional advice from them. Because they're just wise, responsible, trustworthy people. I guess uh, then the the million-dollar question is, how do I go by choosing my mentor? What should I look for and how do I make that initial step? Yeah, I think a couple of things. That's a great question, right? First is, what do you respect in people that you want to become like? Is it their character? Is it their competence? Is it their income? Is it their reputation, their brand, their intellect, their wisdom? I think you find people in your life that you respect their values, you respect what they've accomplished. It might be recovering from a trauma. It might be accomplishing a particular level of financial success. It might be just helping you navigate uncertainty in your own life because they did the same. So I think it's identifying someone who you respect what they've done. And you believe you can learn from that lesson because either you're facing the same challenges or find that you might along your path to entrepreneurialism or your path to, you know, an advanced degree or your path to some kind of personal success or professional success. Mm. You don't have to know them. You don't have to know them. You just have to ask because people can't help you if they don't know you need help. 
So I think half the battle is just reaching out beyond your own comfort zone and asking them, hey, you don't know me, but would you be my mentor for six months, one hour a month for six Zoom calls, and I won't ask you to introduce me to your network. I won't ask you for any money. There's not going to be any, you know, any asks outside of just learning from you how I can accomplish in my life what I need to based on your successes and also on your failures. In case you're just joining us, this is Upfront on the Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vungani. We are talking about mentorship, whether personal or professional mentorship. And my guest today is Scott Miller, author of the new book, Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. My name is Jackson Vungani. Thank you for joining us. So then how do I know if I'm choosing the right goals to focus on when I'm, you know, when I'm choosing my mentor or if I've finally chose, you know, decided this is the person that I want to approach to be my mentor. How do I know that I'm actually making the right choice of the goals right now to focus on? What are some of the things that I should have in mind? You know, I don't know that there's a magic answer to that, right? Some of us are focused on our education. Others are focused on a multi-year, multi-decade business plan. Some of us are just focused on you know, checking something off that's necessary to achieve our degree or to land our first career. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. Mm. I, I, think, I think you could find someone in your life who is wise and successful. By the way, when I say successful, that means they've had lots of failures. And you could, you could, you could ask them, hey, I'm kind of at a crossroads. Do I do this first or do I do that? Or I'm thinking about doing these five things. Which one would you advise that I tackle first? So I think vulnerability is the first step to building a great mentee-mentor relationship, is admitting, I don't know what to do next. Here's what I'm thinking. Could you provide me some sequence on if you were me? Not if you were new, not if you were new, because I can't become you. But if you were me, recognizing my, my strengths, my weaknesses, my passions, my fears, my limitations, my values, and my goals, what advice would you give me on sequencing? Ask three or four people that. And I think you'll, it'll become clearer for you. Now, it's been over a year since we've been working from home because due to the global pandemic. Uh, we are not able to meet people face-to-face. Uh, is it possible to find somebody to mentor you remotely when you're working from home? Are there limitations to that too? No, I don't see any. I, I mean, LinkedIn, right? I mean, I think it's very easy to find someone who's who's been where you're going, who's done what you want to do, or who's tried it and failed at it, and you want to learn from their lessons. I mean, you know, whether you want to be an author or a podcast host whether you want to be a college professor or a flower shop owner or a restaurateur that specializes in, you know, haute cuisine with Italian twist from the Tuscany region. I mean, all these people can be found. I'll tell you, generally, what I find in most successful people, and I spent my entire career around the biggest celebrities and brand builders and authors and CEOs, they love to help. They love to give back. They love someone that's got a strong work ethic that wants to go out and get something done. They love to help, provided they know that you're not in it to secretly try to make a connection somewhere or get them to fundraise for you, right? Be very transparent. I am never going to ask you for this, this, and this. It will never happen. Mm -hmm. All I want 
is, you know, a total of four hours of your time over the next, you know, eight months, a half an hour a week. Could you do that? People, I'll tell you, everybody I know, every one of these mentors in this book, Master Mentors, every one of them would do that because they love to give back to others. They have an abundance mentality. Mm. All of them will be a little bit fearful of, I don't know you. Are you going to ask me to, you know, raise money for you? Or so I would declare up front what your intent is. Set some parameters and then don't violate them. And I tell you, eight times out of 10, you'd be surprised how willing someone will be to help you, even when they don't know you. And I know why. I know it's true because people ask me all the time. I'll say, you know what? I'll give you 30 minutes. It's all I have. Meet you on Zoom, you know, tomorrow at two. I do three or four of those a week. And how do I know what to ask my, my mentor or the, my, the, during the, oh. the first time? Because I can imagine you could be intimidated by, yeah. you know, yeah. somebody of a high profile, whether sure. it's or whatever it is, a CEO, and you don't, you know, you're tongue tied. You don't even know what to ask this person. Yeah. Now, this is important because you should not wing it. You should be very prepared, right? You should be very prepared and, and be mindful of how much you talk. Thank, you know, thank you for your half an hour. And then just be upfront. Can I tell you, I'm a bit intimidated to be with you right now. I'm, I'm both grateful and, and I'm honored by your presence, but you know, I am a little bit intimidated. So if I seem nervous, it's because I am. What, I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend about 10 minutes telling you a bit more about me, what my goals are, what some of my big questions are, and then allow you to ask any clarifying questions. And then perhaps we could spend the last 15 minutes brainstorming what you think some good next steps are for me. Would that be okay? 10 minutes, me telling you more about me and my goals. You may be asking some clarifying questions that would better help you give me advice. And then we spend the last 10 minutes talking about what advice, what sequence, what you think I should do next. That seems like there's a template or blueprint that... Uh, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And then here's some caveats. Be mindful of how much you speak. Be mindful of talking in a logistical sequenced format. You know, don't talk about your high school and then your college and your first ex-wife and your second ex-husband. Keep it cogent. Keep mm -hmm. it linear. And also have a timer. Put your watch down and set the timer and be done in 10 minutes. Because no mentor wants to hear you talk for 30 minutes about, you know, a bunch of different things. And then if they, if they ask you questions, try to answer them as succinctly and as honest as possible, including if the answer is, I don't know. That's a great question. Could I research that and get back to you on our next phone call? Because these people are, if, if, you, if you're asking a mentor who's truly wise, their time is their most precious asset. Right, right. And they don't want to waste it. And they're very, very willing to invest it. So you ought to have answers to everything up front. You ought to have access to every study or every research or your website link here. No, no, think of any question that they might ask you and have it ready to go. Write down, you know, brainstorm what are the top 30 questions they could ask me and have answers to them so that you're not wasting their time because they will know if you, if they say, so tell me what your social media reach is. And you can say, well, actually on Instagram, it's 47,000 on Facebook, it's 1200 on LinkedIn. It's 18,000 on, mm -hmm. they'll be impressed. They're like, this person values my time. Right. Right. Okay. Scott, uh, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, I guess, uh, the other million dollar question, 
who is uh, i'm sure you've had some mentors of influential mentors in in your life who have they been and at those some of the people that are in in your book many of them are that's right in addition to these people being on this podcast that i'm privileged to host they've become friends or were friends you know i'll tell you seth godin is a very famous author and blogger he's written dozens of books he has the largest followed blog i think maybe in the world for in the marketing leadership space uh he has taught me so much in life and he's very, he's an iconoclast. He doesn't mix up words, right? I mean, I'll call him and ask him something. He'll say, no, that's stupid. Next question. And he'll, and he'll tell me why, right? So he's very kind of brief and clear with me, but he has taught me the difference between being reckless and being fearless. He's taught me about how to build a brand, how not to take shortcuts, how to add value, how to create value for other people, how to add value to other people's lives. So I'd say Seth Godin, who's one of the biggest names in the leadership marketing world, has been a very dear friend. I'll have a keynote where I'm trying to link leadership principles with um, artificial intelligence. Heck, I can barely spell AI, let alone you know, know how to implement it. And Seth in his car will give me 10 minutes on everything he knows about AI so that I can go out and crush my keynote. And that's the essence of a mentor is they just have an abundance mentality and they want to help other people through no benefit to their own. And so Seth Godin is probably my most influential mentor. And he is one of the master mentors featured in the book titled Master Mentors. Scott, thank you very much for taking time off to speak to us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for the spotlight. All right. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Welcome back. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi. Early last year, social media giant Twitter announced that it would deploy new features to help curb disinformation and influence operations that use the platform to target political and social campaigns around the world. In the U.S., Twitter's new strict rules targeted accounts that spread fake news and disinformation related to the 2020 elections and later issues such as COVID-19 and the COVID vaccine. In Africa, a GSMA report from 2019 showed that mobile social media penetration increased to 11% from 5% in 2015. The double-digit increase can be seen in the number of people on the continent that use popular platforms such as YouTube, Facebook, WhatsApp, and Twitter. And with almost 50 million Twitter users, Kenya has one of the most engaged Twitter communities on the continent, many tweeting under the acronym hashtag KOT, or Kenyans on Twitter. 
They use the platform to engage in debate and mobilize around issues of shared concern. However, a new report says that the platform is being used by some people with sinister motives. Brian Obilo is a cybersecurity engineer, currently a tech and society fellow at Mozilla Foundation. He specializes in cybersecurity, cyber resilience, cyber awareness and disinformation. Brian is the co-writer of the report titled, quote, Inside the Shadowy World of Disinformation for Hire in Kenya. From Nairobi, he tells me that their report uncovered a network of Kenyan Twitter influencers who were paid by political operatives to launch online disinformation attacks targeting activists and members of the country's judiciary to undermine their work on contentious political issues of the day. So... For some of the influencers, um, some of them commercialize their following. So we have seen a lot of um, influencers get into paid partnerships with multiple brands in order to sort of just boost their career forward and stuff like that. Others can use it for social activism. Others are using it to amplify key social justice issues that are happening. And also for politicians, they're using uh, their following to sort of uh, con- uh, sort of uh, promote or advance the agendas and whatnot. So it's, yeah, it just depends on... Their political platforms. Yes, yes. Right. So it just depends on who the influencer is and what they intend to do okay. with their following. And This report that you, you, you co-authored says that, you know, shadowy financiers have deployed an army of, uh, of Twitter influencers uh, to coordinate digital information campaigns in, in favor of uh, either a government, uh, you know, like in, in this specific case, uh, a government-backed constitutional amendment bill uh, that is uh, popularly known as uh, BBI or was known as BBI, Building Bridges Initiative. Um, who are these financiers and, and are there other similar campaigns against uh, government initiatives or bills in parliaments or even politicians? Yeah, I, I think that's a question we receive a lot. So one of the sources that talked to us told us that, first of all, they organize some of this disinformation. They coordinate some of this disinformation campaigns through the use of WhatsApp groups. And then once they hit the you know KPIs, then they receive their money through the mobile platform and PESA. So the people that are probably paying them are middlemen, and middlemen and middlemen. So it's very, very hard to really trace that money and get the right people who are sort of financing the, the disinformation campaigns themselves. But at the end of the day, the most important question you can always ask yourself, and without a rhetorical question you can ask yourself is, who stands to benefit the most by sort of amplifying the Building Bridges Initiative and also at the same time pushing dissenting voices or rather opposing voices away from the platform. So it's very, very hard to answer that question, but that's how you can put it, like who stands to benefit from it. Okay, so whoever benefits is the one who's most likely paying, but it's very hard to trust the money directly to to them. Yes, exactly. Are there any local laws that they're breaking by engaging in uh, disinformation campaigns? So... In Kenya, we have the Computer Misuse and Cyber Crimes Act that essentially forbids you from publishing false information. 
so it's not very clear because of the nature of the disinformation they're spewing, whether they're breaking any laws. And also some of the disinformation we saw um, may constitute to maybe libel and defamation, especially the ones that the five judges of the high court um, received. Some of the attacks they received may constitute libel and this, uh, yeah, so it's not very clear um, which laws they are breaking per se, but I guess it may depend on a case-by-case basis of every disinformation campaign and the exact content of what they were pushing out there. Does, you know, we know in the U.S., um, Twitter actively last year was blocking accounts that were engaged in disinformation campaigns, whether it's uh, against uh, COVID vaccines or whether it was political campaigns. Has there been any such initiative in, in Kenya where Twitter has actually gone as far as blocking or deactivating an account for engaging in type of that type of activity? Yeah, so one thing I can mention is that when we reached out to Twitter with this, they first of all thanked us for bringing this into uh, uh, this to their attention. And they conducted their own internal investigation and their teams took action on just over 100 Twitter accounts that they believed had sort of violated their platform manipulation and spam policy. And while giving us feedback on the same, they told us that they had found one network of coordinated accounts, which sort of link back to uh, uh, other accounts that were deactivated uh, in 2020 last year. So this just shows the resilience of some of these groups that are co- conducting the disinformation campaigns. And even if Twitter takes action, uh, they find ways in which they can set up more accounts to continue violating Twitter's platform manipulation and spam policy. So mm. there is still so much more to be done because from these campaigners' perspective, Twitter is a very lucrative platform and it's very, very efficient for spreading disinformation because of some of the key features that uh, the platform itself has, like its own trending algorithm and work. So they will jump on a hashtag or start a hashtag and then amplify it. Yes. So. Yes, and one thing that we also mentioned in the report is that they um, a few a few verified accounts were being used uh, were being used to sort of uh, help amplify these disinformation campaigns, and our verified accounts are very lucrative, and in some instances are so told us that they were reaching out to people and renting out uh, or rather renting the verified accounts because it makes the chances of uh, the disinformation campaigns trending to be much higher. So it's right. very... And it, and it looks legitimate up. for whoever is, 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 is consuming the information uh, that somebody who with a verified account is actually tweeting or saying something. Now, the Kenyan election is coming up next year. If you look back at some of these past elections in Kenya and the kind of chaos uh, and sometimes violence, what worries you the most? Um, I, I think what worries me the most is once, like, after tracking the, the disinformation campaigns over a period of time, we started seeing another breed of uh, disinformation campaigns that had a lot of, uh, that displayed a lot of elements of hate speech. 
a lot of elements of insightful language and stuff like that. And this is very, uh, this is very dangerous, especially for a country that has a history of violence after every electoral elections. It's very, very concerning, and Twitter may have blood on its hands if it does not make sure that you know these disinformation campaigns are not uh, amplified um, on its own platforms. So it's very dangerous because Kenyans are an easy group to incite, and we have seen it constantly where after elections we have violence because of incitement. That was Brian Obilo, a cybersecurity engineer, currently a tech and society fellow at Mozilla Foundation. Brian is the co-writer of the report titled Inside the Shadowy World of Disinformation for Hire in Kenya. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. I want to thank our guests, Brian Obilo and Scott Miller. I also want to thank you, our listeners, who tuned in, whether it's online or via our FM or shortwave radio stations. Please remember to connect with us on our social media platforms. We are at BOA Upfront on all social media platforms, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. I'm at Upfront Africa. That's my personal handle, at Upfront Africa. Feel free to connect with me. Until next time, I'll catch you right here on The Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vungani, wishing you a very great day ahead. 